right. It is great to be back with you guys. This is my second time getting to teach with you and uh, met so many of you last time. It was such a great experience. And uh, I want to give a shout out to all the podrishners out there like me. Uh, what's really cool is I met a whole bunch of them as well through email and correspondence uh, since I was last here. And uh, it's just cool to see how, how wide this network is. You know, if you just come here on the weekend, you may not realize, but it's in Arizona. I met two people from Arizona last night, you know, that came up to me. It's just crazy to see how, how wide this is getting and uh, great to be a part of it with you guys. Uh, I watch every week with you, so uh, I'm very connected with what's going on here and just a, a tremendous uh, blessing to be a part of it and, and to, to get to share with you. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, for any of us who, who watch every week or are here every week, um, you hear Greg talk a lot about a, a, a Jesus-looking God. You know, uh, We have all these views of God that you, you hear about, and, and in America especially, you get a, a view of God that gets a lot of other things added to it and, and kind of make it difficult to tell like what's God really supposed to be like. And, and I think that this church has kind of become uh, one of the, for, the, the, the people on the forefront of that new conversation going, no, here's what, here's what a Jesus-looking God looks like. And kind of you know, stripping away everything else and getting to the heart of that and, and showing this picture. It's a very compelling picture. And if you, if you catch that vision, you go, okay, this is a Jesus-looking God. It makes you want to become a Jesus-looking person, right? So then you go, hey, that's, that's what God looks like. How do I reflect that in my life? And yet that, that's not an, an obvious answer. How do you do that? You know, how, how do you be that kind of person once you decide that you want to be? Um, how, how do you go about that? And so I, I want to share today from John chapter 15, where I, I think Jesus gives us an image to kind of answer that, to address that. And it's one of those images that uh, we can think back and kind of lock in on, and, and it helps us remember, okay, this is what it's supposed to be. See, images have tremendous power. Uh, you, you can have an image, and, and without saying words, that image can just kind of bring all these feelings and emotions and thoughts and responses to it. But let me illustrate this. You see, when it comes to images, there's a certain fashion image that I think is really cool, but I have learned over the years is not as cool collectively as I think it is. I don't know if you've ever had one of these where it's something you think is really awesome and, and you get flack about it. Uh, you see, if it was up to me, uh, I would wear this certain fashion all the time, and yet I have just learned after repeated abuse uh, that you know, not everybody's on board with this fashion. And so uh, I'm just going to be really vulnerable with you. It's my second time here. I feel like we're at that level, right? I, I, can, be, I can be vulnerable. You're going you to be kind back? So one guy is going to be kind back to me, so I appreciate that. So we're, we're going to have this, right? So here's the deal. If it were up to me, we would all be wearing socks and sandals. Anybody? I got one believer over there. That's what I'm talking about. Socks and sandals. That is where it's at. If you've never tried it, oh, you are missing out. Let me tell you, okay? Socks and sandals are not only functional, it's very cozy, uh, but it looks cool. And I just have loved this style, and I used to do it all the time, and my wife uh, basically told me, you can't wear that anymore. Like, it's just not, we're not, we're not going to do that. But I'll have you know, and this is, this is absolutely true, I met my wife, Michelle, wearing socks and sandals. <laughs> Judge for yourself, all right? So guys... If you're single and it just hasn't worked out for you yet, <laughs> give it a try. You never know. Um, there's, there's just a, a powerful image. You see socks and sandals and it creates a response. Now, I do have to tell you, as an aside, if you came in here today wearing socks and sandals, it's going to be a little bit awkward for you as we exit, okay? So I, I, this is a safe place, so no judgment. Um, I, I'll band with you. We've got to support one another. But uh, it's just an image that creates a response. So we're going to look at a, a much more powerful image in John chapter 15 that creates a, a, a very uh, strong response once we understand what Jesus is saying to us. And this image comes uh, in John 15. He's using an image of a vine. 
And he's talking about spirituality and connection with the vine. Now, this would have been a very common image to them in the New Testament church. Uh, and so the people he's saying this to, they would have got it. They would have understood. Uh, in the first century Jewish culture, vines were a, a huge part of it. But it's not the same for us. So it would be like me if I'm in Arizona talking to, to you know, my people about cactuses. Everyone would go, yep, cactuses, got it. It would be like me talking to you about snow. And you're like, yep. Got it. You know, we we understand that. And so for them, this was kind of one of those images. You would see it everywhere. It would be very familiar. But here's a picture in case you're a little confused on what's a vine look like. Uh, That's a picture of a vine just to kind of get us all kind of going. That's what Jesus is referencing here in John chapter 15. Now, grapevines and vineyards uh, were some of the most important products of the first century Jews. This was, uh, you know, something for agriculture and just their culture. And and, and so many things uh, revolved around this. They were very familiar with how much work it took to take care of a vine. They they knew that. They lived that. Uh, And so when Jesus is talking about a vine here, they're all going, yep. We, we know exactly what we're talking about. And, and yet, there's also this spiritual dynamic to it, in addition to the practical dynamic. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you see lots of examples of God using this image of a vine. And the majority of the time it's used in the Old Testament, it's used to describe the nation of Israel. So Israel, God's people, are, are spoken of as a vine. And it's not usually just a neutral vine, it, it's an unhealthy vine. It's a disobedient vine. So a lot of the examples you see throughout the Old Testament kind of show you that, hey, this is how they thought of a vine. They, they thought that they were the vine, but then they knew that they, hey, collectively hadn't done a really great job at that. And if you go throughout the stories of the Old Testament, you see this. But this was the understanding they brought with them to go, okay, we get it. Uh, in Psalm chapter 80, you see an example of, of many uh, of this concept. It says, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and implanted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. Okay, again, this is not a literal vine he's talking about. This is the, the people of God. He's referencing the nation of Israel. So you just see this throughout the Old Testament. This was a, a common image to them. And as they understood that they were the vine, they also understood that God, the Father, was the gardener. Okay, so he's the gardener. They're the vine. This was a basic premise they all accepted. So when Jesus in John 15 is going to reference this image, that's what they had in mind. Yep, yep, we, we got it. You know, we, we, we've read the scriptures, Jesus. We know that we're the vine. We're, you know, maybe an unhealthy vine. God's the gardener. We've got it. We've heard all there is in this image. Then you get to John 15 and you see how Jesus is going to use it. But he's going to update this image. And he's going he's to change it a little bit. So here's, here's what Jesus says, John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus takes a common image uh, to you know, the first century Jews. And then he, he turns the image on its head. So if you go through, you still have God the Father is the gardener. So that part hasn't changed. But notice a huge change. Now, Jesus says that he is the vine. It's not the nation of Israel anymore. And notice the word he adds to it. I am the true vine. And you can just imagine them hearing us going, Whoa, I thought that was us. That was our part. What do you mean you're the vine now? And then he adds a third dynamic. He says that anyone who would follow after him, they're the branches. That's the image he begins to expand on. That, that, you know, God's the gardener, uh, Jesus is the vine, and we as his followers are the branches. Here's what we see in this image, and we'll unpack this a little bit. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more vibrantly 
you'll experience life. Okay, this is an image of life that he's talking about. It's not just a neutral image. It's an image of life. The closer you get to Jesus, the more vibrantly you'll experience life. Now, I can't think about John 15 without going back to a story when I was in college. When I was in college, I, used to, I was a preaching major, and so we would sit in these preaching classes. And, uh, and preaching classes in college are, are very awkward experiences. They're nothing like real church services. And so you'd be in a class, and you'd have to preach to five other preaching majors. You know? And so everyone's preaching to each other, and it's not really like a church setting, but you kind of go through the motions anyway. And I remember in one of my classes, the first day of class, the professor uh, walks up to class, and he holds up a piece of paper. He had laminated the sheet of paper, and in big block letters, red letters, it said the word heresy. And we're all kind of looking at it. He holds the sign up and he goes, here's the deal. He goes, I will have this sign on my desk every time you preach. And if at any point you start to preach heresy, I will hold this sign up and you automatically fail that, that sermon. Yeah, how's that pressure for you, right? And so, it just you know, this fear goes over the class like, oh man. You know, and we're in college. We're still trying to, you know, work out the kinks in our theology, if you will. And so we're like, man, he, he's going to really be on this. And so there was this fear. Whenever you get to preach, you're looking at the students, but then you're always watching the professor's desk to see if anything's moving, you know, if anything's happening. And, and you're just constantly afraid of that. And here's the reality, though. After a few years, I never saw him use it. And to be honest with you, I was a little disappointed. You know, I, I wanted to see some good old heresy. And I wanted to see it called out. And I was kind of, you know, I missed the show. Like, I, I was a little bummed by that. And so I remember one time, you know, after I've been there for a while, I asked one of the upperclassmen, I said, hey, what's the deal? I said, is this all just talk? Has he ever actually used the sign? And this guy goes, oh, only once. I said, really? I'm like, do, do you know what happened? And he goes, I was there. I'm like, can you tell me about it? And he goes, it happened like this. A student came up and he was preaching John 15, the passage I just read. And as he's preaching the passage, he says, have you ever seen a vine? kind of a weird image to use. And then he says this line, what Jesus should have said was, <laughs> you can't say what Jesus should have said. He's the son of God, right? And so everyone in the class is like, oh, he just said what Jesus should have said. And the professor is looking for his paper, bam, holds it up, heresy. Everyone's applauding, going crazy, you know, because it's just one of those moments. You, you can't say that, but I can never think about this image without going back to that line. Did Jesus get it wrong? You know, was this a weird image for Jesus to use? Should he, should he have used something else? Uh, I, I don't think so. And, and so I'm comfortable with the image he used. Um, however, for me to illustrate this today, uh, you'll notice I don't have a vine here. Okay, this is not because uh, I don't believe that Jesus got it right. All right, so please don't tell my professor I'm preaching heresy. Um, Jesus had a vine. I, I have an uh, artificially looking uh, apple tree. Now, as a funny side note, uh, I, I talked to my friend Mary Van Sickle a couple weeks ago. I said, hey, Mary, um, can you get me like a little citrus tree? I said, they're everywhere in Arizona. If you could just find one, that would be great. Evidently, uh, I should have like import citrus trees to you guys because, man, they are like, you know, a hot commodity up here. So we're not able to acquire one. So Mary made me uh, this like apple looking tree. Uh, so I'm going to use this and we're going to go with this. This will be good. Um, but we're going to illustrate this. This is not because I don't agree with the vine. Okay, I'm fine with the vine, but he's the son of God. I'm not. So I'm just going to use m- my little fake apple tree. So we're going to illustrate this image. We're going to let this image kind of breathe and come to life a little bit as we just kind of unpack, uh, you know, really the, the message that Jesus is saying here. Now, in John 15, if you read through it, you get this picture of God uh, as, as the gardener, as the father. Now, our, our, our view of God matters because you respond according to how you view God. 
So if you have a really unhealthy view of God, you're going to respond in an unhealthy way uh, because you don't really understand, you know, who God's nature really is. And so it's important to understand, okay, what do we see about God in this passage? And what we see is that God is a very active gardener. You notice that? It's not this picture of a gardener that says, hey, I'm going to plant this thing, I'm going to go on a vacation, and hope, hope it all works out, and we'll see what, you know, what happens when I'm done. No, it's a very active gardener that you see. He's very involved in the life of this plant and of the vine. And it says that he's going to cut, in one way or another, every branch. You know, do you notice that? He's going to cut every branch. But there's different ways that he's going to cut it. So let me illustrate this. Uh, the first type of way that he's going to cut is talks about healthy branches. You know, there are healthy branches. So what, what happens to a healthy branch? Well, that's going to get pruned. Uh, and so pruning, uh, if you've ever, you know, done anything with a plant, you understand that pruning is, is where you make a small cut. It's nothing major. You, you kind of make a small cut to, to help out the branch or, or make sure everything's going well. And again, just think about this for a moment. The healthy branch is going to get pruned. Now, anyone else encouraged today that if you are having a healthy journey with you and God, that you can expect to be pruned? Anyone else is excited about that? No, we go, wait, what? Why, why do I get pruned if I'm healthy? I, I, don't, I don't want to be pruned. No, no, that's, that's what Jesus says. That's a healthy branch. A branch that's producing fruit is going to be pruned. And, and some of us just need to wrestle with this a little bit and go, well, that's not what I want. Now, some of you, you know, you, you have moments of this. Some of you, you're in a season of this right now where God is pushing on you. He's, he, he's you know, making you uncomfortable in certain areas. He's, he's challenging your, your opinions on some things or he's causing you to step out in faith. His spirit is making you a little uncomfortable with some of the things you feel prompted to do. See, all these can be pruning moments where God said, hey, here's, here's kind of how I want to shape you. Here's how I want you to develop. And, and again, who does this happen to? The healthy branch. And so if we want to, what's the expectation of what does it look like to follow God? If you want to go, hey, God, I want to get it all figured out and then I'll be set and then I'll just coast. Um, you're not following Jesus. So the healthy branch gets pruned. That's what we can expect. And then he talks about another kind of branch that's not healthy. And when the branch is, is unhealthy like that, uh, that branch experiences something else. It's wax. I really got to cut it here. Those branches get cut off. Now, I think this can happen practically in a number of, of different ways. And so uh, I think that sometimes we do this. Sometimes we self-select out and we say, hey, I want nothing to do with the vine. I want nothing to do with what God is doing. And uh, I, I love a phrase that Greg said a couple weeks ago, that God is a gentleman. He's going he's gonna to honor that. He's going to respect that. God's never going to force himself on you. And so you can self-select out and go, hey, I, I want to do my own thing. I, I want to be a part of that. Um, and then there's times that the gardener says, hey, this is unhealthy. If you've got a plant or a tree in, in your yard, uh, you've probably pruned it at, at some point. Or you've cut off something that was unhealthy. You go, hey, this is, this is not going well for the whole plant. That, that's just this very practical thing. But, but it happens spiritually. And I think you can think about this in a, a macro level and a micro level. Uh, from a big sense, there are, there are times where we can just walk away from God. And I, I believe God honors that. If you say, I want nothing to do with you. I want to go my own life. I don't want you to be a part of it. I want to do my own thing. I think God honors that. But there's also times where we're so connected to the vine, but we're not really living it. Where it's just kind of like more subtle things where, hey, we're kind of drifting and we're kind of getting into a rut and we're doing our own thing. And so I think on a smaller sense, sometimes you'll feel this separation as well. And when you look at this, um, you, you can kind of look and go, wow, that, that, that's so harsh. You know, and, and you'll, you read this passage, it talks about, you know, what, what happens to this branch? It gets thrown to the fire and burned. Is he talking about hell? You know, is he threatening us here? I don't think so. I think he's just speaking really practically. Hey, what do you do with a, a discarded branch? You, you, you throw it away, right? You, you get rid of it. You, you, don't, you don't keep it around because it's got no purpose anymore. It's got no life to it. 
And so we say that this is what happens uh, when we do this. But here's what's important to understand. Whose job is it to cut branches off? The gardener. Whose job is it not? The other branches. How often in Christianity today do we think it's our job to decide who's cut off from the vine? Hey, I'm going to let you know that person, nope, you're off. You're not a part of this vine. See, that's, that's not our job. That's the gardener's job to do that. We don't do that. It's not our responsibility. All we have to do is stay connected to the vine. And yet, Christians today, we get this one wrong. And we, we tend to want to believe it's our responsibility, our obligation to, you know, to take care of that. We've got to help God garden. He doesn't need you to help garden the vine. Okay? He needs you to stay connected to it. And it's important to note that nowhere in the New Testament do you see anyone claiming to know that someone had been eternally damned, had been eternally cut off, and they're, they're disconnected from God forever. You don't see those types of claims. And yet today, we, we struggle with this a little bit because we want to feel like, hey, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to help God out. And yet, that's the role of the gardener. It's not our job. And you get to verse 3, and you get to an interesting sentence there, and, and it might throw you for a loop. He says, you are already clean. What? Why is he talking about being clean? I thought we were talking about a vine. You know, is, the, is the vine dirty? But it's important to understand uh, in the context of this image that he's using. And what he's saying is, hey, when you have uh, attached yourself to the vine, when you have said, hey, uh, I was living in this kingdom, and now I choose another kingdom. I was living by me being in control, and now God is in control of my life. Now I submit my life to the work of Jesus Christ. When you make that transformation, uh, you, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Peter talks about you exchange the nature uh, for a divine nature that then is kind of the, the guiding force in your life. And you guys have been talking about in the last few weeks this, this spiritual gifting. And that's what happens. The, the spirit is inside of you and begins to prompt you, begins to give you things and, and, and causes you to do all these things. And that's, that's normal. And he says, when that happens, you are already clean. See, for a lot of people, we go, yeah, God, I know that you're inside of me, but, but you, you must be so disappointed in me. You must be so disgusted with me. I mean, that, that sin that I can't seem to break. And that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm revolting to you. I'm so sorry. And, and when we come groveling, we allow Satan's lies to, to permeate the way that we view the vine. And yet Jesus says, no, you are already clean. If you are living life, if you're connected to the vine, you're already clean. And some of us have to, have to push out lies that we've been told. Maybe it was something that your parents once told you. And that lie continues to nag you. It was something an ex said to you. A family member said to you. You begin to believe this and you believe that you are unworthy, that you are filthy and, and Jesus is, you know, is, is reluctantly allowing you to be a part of this. And yet, that's not the image we see here. He says, no, when you're connected to the vine, you are already clean. And some of you just need to hear that message today. Some of you need to stop listening to Satan's lies and go, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to listen to you instead. When you tell me that I can be a part of this and that that doesn't have to define me what, what someone said to me years ago. And that's important because we often wonder, um, if I'm healthy and I'm getting pruned, why am I getting pruned? And I think the lie that Satan wants to convince us of is you're getting pruned because you're not good enough. You're not good enough. If you were good enough, you wouldn't have to be pruned. But you're just not good enough, so maybe someday God will get you to where he needs you to be. That's a lie. So God says, you're already clean. When you're trying to define, you're already clean. He's pruning us not to make us good enough. He's pruning us literally so that we can experience more life. So us as a branch gets to be a bigger, stronger branch. It can be more a part of the tree. It can hold more fruit. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give you more of his life, and that's why you're pruned, just like you would prune a plant to make it healthier. 
And so Jesus says, this is why it's not to make you good enough. Yet Satan loves to mess with us, loves to get us to, to think of this the other way. But the closer that we get to Jesus, the more vibrantly we'll experience life. And then you get to, to verse 5, you keep reading, and you see him again repeat himself. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's a phrase in there that always stands out to me. Apart from me, you can do a handful of things. Apart from me, you can do some things. Apart from me, you can only do a few things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we've lost how offensive of a statement that is today. We gloss over it, and that's why we struggle with humility so much. Because we convince, oh yeah, I, I understand Jesus, that, you know, most of it's you, but I can, I can do a lot myself too. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of got my own thing going, it's pretty good, and you know, I'm really helping you. See, you know, Jesus says, apart from me, there is no life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, let me help you remember how offensive of a statement this is. Imagine today after church, uh, if I asked all of you to go to your neighbor, just, just go over to your neighbor's house and say, hey, uh, I just want to give you a, an encouraging word I heard at church today. Yeah, Jeremy told me to tell you that um, in John 15, Jesus says that apart from him, you can do nothing. So if you're not living your life with Jesus, you can do nothing. H- have a great day. just wanted to let you know. How's that going to go over? Right, because it's an offensive statement. We understand that. And yet, if you've been in church, or you've grown up in this, or you've read we gloss over it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cute, Jesus. No, this is a bold statement. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Just saying, there is no life outside of me. You'll, you'll look for it. You'll try to find it, but it won't be there. And again, go to a practical sense. It would be as absurd. Imagine this was a real tree again that is really going to produce apples. Uh, if I said, hey, this branch, I'm going to go put this, this branch on my dresser at home. And in two years, it's going to make apples for me. Right? You'd go, Jeremy, you're delusional. It's not going to happen. It has been disconnected from the source. Like, now, if this is a real tree, in two years, it's going to produce apples. But this won't if I just put it uh, you know, in, my, in my room. It would be silly for me to expect, yeah, this is going to produce fruit because it's disconnected from life. And yet so often we think, no, I can do this and experience life. And yet Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And there's something inside of us that, is, as weird as it sounds, we want that. We crave that at times. I had a conversation uh, last week with my four-year-old. Uh, he's number two of our, our four kids. And his name's Madsen. And, and I'm sitting in the living room, and Madsen comes into me, and he goes, Hey, Dad, I, I want to go play in the garage. I said, Okay. And he said, uh, and again, you have to, He's this cute little guy, and so he has a lisp. It's, it's kind of cute. But he, he looks, kind of leans in, and he points his finger at me, and he says, You don't come in there. <laughs> I said, Excuse me? He said, I'm going to go in the garage, and you don't come in there, okay? And I said, no, I don't agree to these terms, right? And so he goes, Dad, I'm going to go in the garage. I said, yes. He said, you don't come in there. I said, no, no to that part. And so we kept going back and forth, the little four-year-old negotiations, right? Dad, I'm going to go to the garage. Yes, you don't come in there. No, I'm not agreeing to that. I said, Matson, you can go play in the garage, but Daddy's coming in there at some point to see what the heck you're doing, you know? I'm going to go check on you. And he, he wouldn't agree to this. He just kept saying, Dad, don't come in there. Just don't come in there. Just, just let me play. And I said, Matson, what is it that you want to do that Daddy can't see? 
And he kind of looks down for a moment and he sheepishly says, well, I want to climb on your car again. <laughs> yeah, don't owe that. I'm like, what? You want to you climb on my car? He goes, yeah, I, I climb on your car in the garage. I said, do not climb on my car in the garage. What's wrong with you? Like, we're not doing that. And so then I'm like, hey, you can play in the garage, but this is not okay. Like, okay, dad, sorry. I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. Then later that day, I'm driving and the sun perfectly hits my windshield. I see two little feet, you know, prints, like going up my window. And I'm like going, you have got to be kidding me. But there is something in all of us with that tendency of, hey, I want to go do something. God, don't look at me. God, they don't watch this right now. And it can be, hey, hey, tonight, man, guys, this is going to go down tonight, right? So just like, hey, if there's something, like, something else you could be doing tonight, that'd be great because I just kind of need a little window of time here. Or maybe you're in a season of life right now. You're like, God, I know what you're asking me to do. I know you're, you're putting something on my heart, but I'm not really interested. So can you just not look at me right now? Can, can you kind of go over there? And what we're doing is self-selecting off of the vine. This is what sin always does to us. It goes, hey, I, I want to do my own thing. Um, and so can I just, can I, can I be separate from you for a little bit? It's my little four-year-old saying, hey, I know I'm going to go do something I shouldn't do. So can you just not go in there? Can you not look at me? Jesus says, hey, anytime you experience this, it's lifeless. There, there is nothing there. Now, let's play with logic for a moment. If the closer that you get to Jesus, the more vibrantly you'll experience life, the reverse is also true. The further away you get from Jesus, the less you experience life. And so if you come in here today and you go, you know what? In a big sense or a smaller sense, you are that branch that is isolated. That's what you feel like. There's no life in the way that you're living. That's kind of like your reality. Then the way that you are doing that is apart from Christ. That's how you're doing that. Because if you're connected to the vine, you're going to experience life. But if you go, hey, I'm, I'm out on my own. I mean, there's no life in my life. If that's you, that the way that you're doing that is you're apart from Christ. Because he says apart from him, you can do nothing. But if we go back to the source of life, we experience what he designed us for. And notice what he says in verse 8 in John 15. How, how do we know if we're his disciples? See the phrase he says there? When you bear much fruit. Ugh. Anybody excited by that? So like that's the litmus test of whether or not I'm like one of the people actually following you. Is that there's fruit in my life? Well, Jesus, how do I do that? I, I don't know how to make fruit. I mean, how... How do I just force that to happen? How do I just create fruit in my life? You know, you talked about the last few weeks, these spiritual gifts. How do I just make that happen in my life? And it's, a, it's kind of an, uh, an unsettling question. And yet you, you see this reference elsewhere in the New Testament. In Matthew 7, Jesus says it this way. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Kind of obvious. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus... By their fruit, you will recognize them. Whoa. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. All right, God, I want to be one of yours. I want to be a Jesus-looking person. So I'm going to go and make fruit. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to, I'm going to focus, and there's going to be fruit in my life. And ever try to do that? It's pretty hard to do. It doesn't actually work that way. And part of the, the, the difficulty is the way we're thinking about it. Because most English translations say bear fruit. It's the, the, the word bear there. But if you go back to Greek, it's the word pharaoh. Okay, now it's like the Egyptian pharaoh, the Greek word. And that word literally means to carry. To carry. You see, the goal is not that you would produce fruit, that you would make fruit. It's that you would carry the fruit that Jesus is giving you. It's a radical difference of how we look at this. To go, hey, I don't have to suddenly just manifest this and make it happen. I just have to be available. I have to be open to what the Spirit wants to do inside of me. I have to carry 
whatever fruit. And that's why he's pruning me so I can carry more fruit. But I have to just carry the fruit that he will give me. And this doesn't happen overnight. In Galatians 5.22, we see kind of another explanation of fruit. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. What What does fruit look like? It looks like those things. But imagine if any of those, you said, you know what? Today, I'm going to be a kind person. It's just going to happen. Well, if you're a total jerk, you're not all of a sudden going to become a kind person. It's not going to happen. So you can try all you want to just decide, I'm going to be a kind person. I'm going to make it happen. But it's not going to happen. Instead, if you say, God, I understand that you want me to become a kind person. Teach me how I can do that. Give me opportunities to develop that, to allow your spirit to change me. All of a sudden, you start seeing these things happen. But, but we don't want to do that. We want to force them to happen. See, what I've noticed in American Christianity, what we tend to do is instead of focusing on the vine, on the plant, on what Jesus is doing, instead of having our eyes set to Jesus, we focus on what we can control. And what we can control tends to be the fruit itself. And so a lot of us, instead of looking at the vine, instead of looking at the plant, we're going, hey, what's the fruit? And I'm going to worry and I'm going to dwell on the fruit itself. That's all I'm going to consume my mind with. And so we look at things that by themselves are good things. And I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to become a part of a community group. I'm going to attend on the weekend regularly. And so we, we, we pick these things that can be fruit. And we say, hey, I'm going to make these things happen. And then we feel like, yeah, look, I've done it. I, I've figured it out. And yet, if we don't do them with the right mentality, if we don't do them the way God has designed it, uh, it's not ever going to be sustaining. It won't ever be fulfilling for us. And then here's the real deception. You can convince a lot of people that you've got to figure it out when, when you're doing this. You can fool most people. They look, they look at you and go, wow, look at that fruit in his life. I mean, he has morning quiet times and he's always there at church. And man, he must be really dialed into God. And yet sometimes those people can be the most deceitful people you'll ever meet. And a lot of times it's because we're just focusing on the fruit itself and we go, hey, Jesus, yeah, I, I don't really need that. But remember what he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, uh, while we can convince ourselves that this works, it looks absurd to God. And, and, and let me illustrate how I, how I think it looks like to God. Look, Jesus, I'm doing it. Spiritual fruit. I have brought fruit to the vine. You're welcome. If you want to teach me teach a class on this, I'll do that for you because I got this figured out. And we fail to see how absurd this looks to God. Make no mistake. You know what this is? This is religion. Jesus, hey, let me tell you how I'm going to impress you today. I'm going I'm to bring all this fruit. I'm going to bring it to the tree. I'm going to bring it to the vine and you'll be so impressed with me. At what point can we all agree that we will never impress Jesus? He made everything. He's perfect God in flesh. I think he's got things figured out. I don't know that we're going to impress him. And he doesn't want us to impress him. All he wants us to do is take him to him. But what we want to do is make fruit happen. Is to, to have something to claim and go, yeah, look, I bought it. I, I'm living it. There is fruit on the tree. And Jesus says, I, I didn't ask you to do that. So this happens when we, we go, hey, I'm reading my Bible every day. I don't actually learn anything from it because I have a hard heart to it. And I'm not receptive to any of it, but I can check it off my list. I did it. And I'm in a community group. They all hate me because I'm a total jerk to them. But I'm in a community group. 
And I, I show up every weekend. I sit in the back and I don't sing and I don't pay attention, but I'm there. And it's religion. And again, some of those things, they are fruit, but it's not sustainable. See, if I were to leave this up here for three weeks and say, hey, hey who wants to eat the banana? Nobody does. Because this banana is in the process of dying. That's what religion does. It rots away around you. And so many people try so hard to be a Jesus-looking person, but they do it through religion. They do it through, hey, I'm going to make this happen instead of going, you know what? I'm going to go to the vine. I'm going to go to Jesus himself, and I'm just going to to be there. I'm going to accept. I'm going to carry what he brings to me. So how do we do this? How do we avoid taping a banana to a tree? How do we avoid this, this religion cycle that it's so easy to fall into? Well, it actually says it in the passage that we read in John 15. And it's easy to, to, to overlook this because he only says the word eight times. Anytime you see a word eight times, clue in, okay? Eight times you see the word remain in the verses that we read in John 15. Eight different times, remain, remain, remain. You think maybe there's something to that concept of remaining in him? I've heard it described elsewhere as active stillness. Because here's the, the thing. When you, when you think about remaining, we go, oh, so I just kick back, right? And Jesus just does all the work and, and it's going to work out. No, no, no. Remaining is something you choose to do. You say, hey, I could try to get life from here, from here, or from here. And I, I don't choose to get life from any of those things. I choose to get my life from the vine. So I'm not going to the kingdom of this world to get life. I'm not putting my hope into any other power other than the name of Jesus Christ. That's where I go for my life. And you begin to refocus everything. And what happens is, is we, we get to live life on the vine. And what most Christians do in America today is they visit the vine. Hey, I'll go visit the vine on Sundays. I'll go check it out. Hey, when, when a disaster hits my house, I'll visit the vine because then I'll start praying. You been there? And instead of living in this life that Jesus calls us to, we go and visit when it's convenient. But by that point, we have these puny little branches that can't hold any fruit because we have been isolated. We have been withering away off of the vine. Jesus, no, I've called you to live life with me. And it happens when we are actively still in his presence. And we say, God, I'm ready. Whatever fruit you want to give me, I'm here. And each morning I wake up and I just am, am aware of your presence. I'm open to the possibilities of whatever it is that you want to do for me. And that's how we choose to live. When I was a kid, I, I got to grow up in the, the kind of the, the rise of the video game era. And so when I was a little kid, that you had just had Nintendo was kind of coming to popularity. And it was, it was that like, you know, rectangle controller with two buttons on it. You know, that was the Nintendo I grew up with. And it was so great as a kid. I remember just loving playing these video games. And, and you know, my dad didn't understand it because he didn't grow up with video games. But I got to grow up with these video games. And it was such a great experience. I remember there was, there was one game in particular that I loved to play. It was uh, a game called Top Gun based off of the 80s movie Top Gun. Now, I know as soon as I say the 80s movie Top Gun, uh, some of you ladies are hoping I'm going to show the volleyball scene, right? <laughs> Not going to happen, okay? So get your minds focused. We're talking about the video game here, okay? So in this video game, you recreated scenes from the movie where, you know, you're fly, flying these planes around, you go to all these things. I remember as a little kid loving this, but there was one level in particular, that I could never beat in this video game. And in this level, you had to, to refuel in midair. Here's a screenshot of what this thing looked like. You would have to refuel in midair. Now, if you were uh, you know, a kid in the 80s, you grew up, this is a haunting image for you. So I apologize. This is like bringing back, you know, it's a trigger for you. This is for me. But I've had to work through it. Um, but this, this image, just, it haunts me because you would have to fly your jet up to that jet to refuel in midair. And I could never figure it out. I could never get it right. 
And I remember as a kid, I get like little kid rage. You know what little kid rage is? It's like totally disproportionate to what's going on. And so I'd be like, oh, this is the dumbest thing in the world. You know, I hate this video game. I hate this. Why can't I just get fuel on the ground? Like, why do I got to do it in the air? You know, and, and just mad about this because I could never figure it out. But you know, here's the craziest thing about this. Do you know they do this in real life? Planes really do that. Are you aware of this? That they can fly at crazy speeds. And mid-air, they can get fuel, uh, you know, as they're going these crazy speeds. And it, it, it's astronomical, just the physics behind this. And yet, in this, I see a beautiful application to what Jesus is talking about here. See, Jesus, he's got, hey, I've got all the life that you'll ever need. But you're going to have to refuel. You're going to have to go and, and, and get your fuel from me. And so we can fly anywhere we want to fly, but you're going to run out of fuel. And you'll crash. And some of you, you've been there. You know what that feels like. It's going, hey, no, no, no. fly, you get, but you're, you're going to have to match my speed. You're going to have to fly right where I tell you to fly. And if you do that, then I'm going to give you life. But it's our choice. And, and you know, in that, you, you would just, you know, get fuel and then you'd go fly elsewhere. But in this, you know, way of thinking of it, you always fly that way. We are constantly getting fuel from Jesus Christ. And yet, how often do we think, you know what, I don't need to do that. But apart from me... You can do nothing. Jesus is going, I, I, I can give you life. The closer you get to me, the more vibrantly you'll experience life. But for many of us, we've got to accept the fact that apart from him, there is no life. And until we choose to live on the vine, we won't live the life that he's called us to. Now I want to close with another verse. And, and this is going to kind of be a stretch a little bit. But I want to uh, take another usage of this image. Uh, Paul writes elsewhere, and he's writing in a different context, but he uses the same metaphor. And I think in a, in a bigger sense that you can kind of connect these metaphors together. So if you'll allow me, uh, let me kind of connect some, some uh, more abstract dots here. In Romans 11, Paul writes this. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. See, I believe this shows us the heart of God for any people that are far from him. His desire is, hey, no matter where you've been, I want to graft you back in. Notice the phrase right before that. For anyone who does not persist in unbelief. Anyone who finally says, look, enough. I don't want this life anymore. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I, enough. I want back in. God goes, come on in. I'll graft you in. Come on back. It's never too late. Come on back. I'll, I'll bring you back to the vine. That we have this moment to say, you know what? I don't want to live apart from the vine anymore. Jesus says, come on. I'll graft you back in. See, today, some of you, if you're honest, you're feeling this kind of a life. And, and, and you're living, there's not much there. There's not much joy. There's not much hope. There's not much purpose. There's, there's not much spiritual fruit going on. So maybe the last, even the last few weeks, you're hearing about these spiritual gifts are going, I've, I've never experienced that. I've never, I've never had any of that. I've never seen any of that. You're going, wow, maybe this is where I am. Again, it could be in a bigger sense that you have, you have walked away, or maybe you're, you're thinking that you're living, you're just not really following him. You're not really connected to him. You're kind of doing your own thing. See, the encouragement for you today, this is you to go, hey, go back to the vine. He'll graft you back in. Go back to the vine. You don't have to let this be reality any longer. It's up to you. Will you persist in your unbelief or go, you know what? I don't want to experience this anymore. I want, I want that. And, and so that's a simple invitation for you. And for others of you, that's not you. For others of you, this is you. 
You're taping a banana to an apple tree. You're trying hard. And you really want to be a Jesus-looking person. But you're doing it the wrong way. And for you, you just need to lighten the load. You don't have to make fruit. You can't make fruit. You can't just make the Spirit happen. It doesn't work like that. But when you go, hey, Jesus, I'm here. I'm open. I'm listening. What is it that you would have me do? You begin to carry the fruit that he will give you. And it doesn't have to look like that. It could be sustainable fruit. See, the invitation for all of us is to choose life on the vine. Say, you know what? We don't have to go visit it. We don't have to live apart from it. We can live life on the vine. And when we do that, we become Jesus-looking people as his spirit infuses us with life. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our band back up. We're going to sing some songs together about this life that we have. And we're also going to worship through offering. And I was actually very excited they asked me to, to do this. I think they, they felt bad for me. But I love this because here's the deal. I'm not on staff here. I've got no pony in this race, okay? So I get to tell you truthfully, you know, what I, what I feel about this. Uh, and just so you know, are you, are you aware that like when Greg talks about offering, do you know that Greg doesn't work on commission? Do you know, do you know that? Like it's not, he doesn't get like a cut of what you give. So here's the deal, guys. We love to talk about what God is doing, don't we? Oh, God, you did this and, and you did that. And here are these incredible stories. And oh, we can celebrate. That's so great. And yet we tend to overlook how God does the what. You want to know how God does the what? He finds people like you, people like me. He says, hey, you want to be a part of this? Hey, I'm doing this thing. You, you, want, you, want, to, you want to be a part of it? You want to live in this kingdom? You want, you want to, to invest yourself in this? You want to be a part of this story? It's, it's going to the, to the vine. You're going, hey, come on in. I want, I want to show you this. But you know what happens is we start to go, hey, okay, yeah, all of it. I want, I want more and more of that. And so you begin to look at every area of your life and go, yeah, how can I live in this kingdom? How can I be a part of this? And financially, if you can't, you know, sacrifice, not, not just, hey, you give or you tip a little bit. I mean, sacrifice. If you can't sacrifice financially, then don't say that the kingdom is a high priority to you. Right? Because if you believe in it, you're like, hey, this is it. Oh, man, it's just a natural response. Like, hey, this is how God's going to do it. The ministry that happens of this church is directly proportional to how much people are faithful. To how much people rise up and go, yep, I'm engaged. I'm involved. And so I just encourage you, you want to be a part of this. If you believe in what Woodland Hills is doing, and if you don't, you're crazy. But if you believe in what this church is doing, this is how it happens. And so I'm just going to unabashedly call you out and go, hey, this is how you do it. This is how you participate in the life of the kingdom, in the life of what God is doing. So the band's going to play. I'm going to pray. And then I just invite you to say, you know what, God, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of the how and what you're doing here. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this image of John 15. Thank you for such a simple image that, that if we will do it this way, um, you get the glory, and it's an incredible story. And yet, God, when, when we make fruit, we get to have the credit. And for a lot of us, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, to give that up. And yet, God, help us to see that it's as pointless as taping a banana to an apple tree. God, help us to be Jesus-looking people, kingdom people. Who, who live life connected to the vine, actively still in your presence, as every day we are open to whatever fruit you want us to carry. God, may our, our priorities, may our focuses be about your kingdom and not about these other areas in the world that we look to for life. We know life is only found in you. God, may we be a church that is full of Jesus' life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.